As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Slam and Jam here on The Athletic NBA Show. Hey, go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $1 a month for six months. It's a great deal. It's a great website with a lot of great writers, including Fred Katz, Anthony Slater, Sam Amick, who you can hear all on the same podcast. Yesterday, they recorded a really fun episode of Tampering, so if you're listening to this now and you haven't listened to that, go listen to it. They kind of pop around the NBA. They talk to John Krasinski and Mike Vorkanov, um, and it's just it's a very, very fun show. Very fun show where there's bounce around the NBA, so go check that out uh, with me as always is my good friend alex spears alex tell me what happened in the nba this week well andrew it all started last friday night with the biggest win of the doc rivers era in milwaukee a 112 to 107 win over the timberwolves in minnesota Giannis had 33 13 and 5 while dame was one rebound shy of a triple double After weeks of strange quotes and weird losses, this was the week things started to get back on track for the Bucs, who have now won four in a row and six of their last eight. Starting Monday, the Bucs will begin a pretty fun stretch where they go Clippers, Warriors, Lakers, Clippers, Kings. Mm. On Saturday night, my poor Pistons, who I foolishly predicted would win 18 games, dropped a heartbreaker after Paulo Bencaro hit the game winner with .9 seconds left to give the Magic a 112-109 win. Kind of a weird box score for the Magic, who didn't have any player, including Bencaro, score more than 15 points in the game and still won. The Magic are temporarily in the sixth seed, but seeds five through eight are currently separated by a half game, so things could change quickly. For the Pistons, I don't know what to say at this point. After buying out Mike Muscala this week, Troy Weaver essentially traded two seconds to get off of Marvin Bagley's contract, something he could have waited to do until this summer, in exchange for two players that are no longer on the team. Monty Williams continues to play all bench lineups. Did you know that Cade, Ivy, Asar, and Jalen Duran, the Pistons' theoretical core, has only played 246 total minutes together, and half of those minutes have come in the last six games? (laughs) Pistons fans are like, stop, stop, stop. Well, here's here's some good news. That group... In 246 minutes, yeah, plus 4.8 net rating. That's pretty good. Hey, Only 246 minutes, but you hey, know, that's something. It's it's a little, <laughs> it's a little crumb. <laughs> uh, another piece of good news: they're no longer at the bottom of the standings. They are now joined by the Wizards, who also have yeah. nine wins. Yeah. Uh, on Sunday, the Sacramento Kings got a big win over the Clippers in LA, 123 to 107. De'Aaron Fox had 33, while Demonis Sabonis put up 17, 15, and 12. The Kings remain in eighth, a half game back of the Mavs. The Clippers are in a bit of a rough patch, but let's not dwell on it too much because this loss to the Kings at home was definitely not their worst loss of the week. Stay tuned. On Monday, the Kings flew back to Sacramento to play the Zombie Heat, who were without Jimmy Butler, Nikola Jovic, and Thomas Bryant, all serving a suspension as a result of a mini brawl against our Pelicans on Friday night. The Heat were also without Tyler Hero, Terry Rozier, Josh Richardson, and Orlando Robinson. Mm. 
Did it matter? No. The Heat are the only team that seems to get stronger the less familiar you are with their roster. The Heat, led by Bam Adebayo's 28 and Jaime Jaquez Jr.'s 26, convincingly beat the Kings, leading from almost the entire second half, winning 121-110. to The win was part of a five-game winning streak and nine of their last 11, and only came to an end because they had to play the Denver Nuggets on Thursday night. Despite the recent good play, very good play, the Heat moved down to eighth in the East with the Denver loss, but are only a game and a half out of fourth. On Tuesday, we got what could end up being the shot of the year. The Mavericks were in Cleveland to play the Cavs. Close game throughout, with the Cavs up by one. With the ball and nine seconds left, they came out of the timeout, immediately gave it to Dallas. On the ensuing play, Luka got the ball to P.J. Washington Jr., who scored at the rim to give the Mavs a one-point lead with 2.1 seconds left. The Cavs were out of timeouts, though, but they didn't need one because they had Max Struess, who hit a 59-foot shot at the buzzer to give the Cavs the 121-119 to win. That win was important because while the Cavs remain second in the East, the Bucks are suddenly right on their tail. On Wednesday... It was another battle for L.A., and entering the fourth quarter, this one looked all but done. The Clippers led the Lakers by 21 entering the final frame, but would get outscored 39-16, to and more impressively, outscored, outscored by LeBron 19-16 to in the fourth quarter. LeBron hit five threes in the fourth and either scored or assisted on 11 of the Lakers' 13 baskets in the quarter. Now, Kawhi had a chance to hit a shot to tie it up with seven seconds left, but he missed, which led to a Cam Reddish dunk to end the game. Lakers 116, Clippers 112. The Lakers have moved up to the ninth spot and are only a game and a half back of the Kings in eighth. The bad news is the upcoming schedule, which goes Denver, OKC, Sacramento, Milwaukee, Minnesota, Sacramento, Golden State over the next seven. And finally, on Thursday night, Victor Wembanyama did some more crazy stuff, and this time it led to an actual win. The Spurs 12th, an impressive 132-118 to 118 win over the Oklahoma City Thunder. Wemby had 28-13-7 with two steals, five blocks, and five threes, and led the Spurs on a 16-4 run in the closing minutes to seal the win. Also, at the risk of jinxing it, my number one pre-leap candidate, Devin Vassell, averaging 24-4-6 and and 45% from three through his first five post-All-Star break games. Now, it wasn't all bad news for the Thunder as Mr. Consistency Shea Gilgis-Alexander continued his MVP push with his 44th game of 30 points or more, most in the NBA this season. What a week it was, Andrew. What a week indeed. Al, I, I wanted to talk about players that don't get talked about all that much and so a way that i've found out to do that is i'm going to do the role player awards now oh i have some criteria here i'm going through like we're going to do like the most valuable role player the mvrp we're going to do the seventh man which we kind of did this earlier but i have a little bit more criteria around it we have the defensive role player of the year award the drpoy the dr mm. boy the uh we Love have the <laughs> the 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 uh, the rookie role player of the year, the Erpoi, and then we have the most improved role player, the Merp. Um, Ooh, I like that too. So <laughs> these are all better than the real awards. Here, here what are the criteria. So uh, have to have a twenty percent or less usage rate. So like twenty percent, it's like average for you know five players on the court. It's got to be less than that. They had to have never made an All Star team. So guys like Rudy Gobert, Draymond Green, who are thought of like like the highest level of role players who do have like lower usage rates, don't qualify. Uh, next, they can't be a recent lottery pick. So like an Evan Mobley, who I actually think has a higher usage rate than 20%, but whenever I made that rule, I was kind of thinking of him, like a player like that, where it's like they should hmm. be good. Like we're thinking about them, they should be good. Maybe they have a lesser role, but can't be a recent lottery pick. I have some like former lottery picks, but they've gone through multiple contracts and have come out as role players. And then the last one, you cannot have odds for any of the real awards. Mm, so that's good. The line this is this is the line of the week brought to you by BetMGM. So there are a few players that do have odds for these awards that I would have considered but that did not make the cut because they have actual odds. Jaime Jaquez has rookie of the year odds, does not qualify. Uh, Jaden McDaniels has Defensive Player of the Year uh, of the Year 
odds doesn't qualify. Jalen Johnson does not qualify for MIP because he uh, has odds. Uh, Norman Powell for sixth man. Derek White. Derek White has six has defensive player of the year odds. Um, okay. And then Brandon Pajemski. And then Pajemski is another one who has rookie of the year odds that I would have considered but did not make the cut because he has actual odds. So let's get into it. Let's start with the Merp, the most improved role player. So guys that I considered, Vince Williams Jr. is averaging almost 10 points, 5.6 rebounds, 3.1 assists, shooting 43, 36, 81. He's had a really nice season for the Grizzlies who have just needed any kind of bright spot. But I think this is more about opportunity for Vince Williams Jr. than like necessarily improvement. He's he's a good player, came into the league last year, didn't play a whole lot, played a ton this year, and earned a contract. It's great. The next one wouldn't stick out to most people because these there's not a real statistical improvement here. But I have Lou Dort here as a most improved role player. Uh, career high in true shooting, near career low in shooting and shot attempts. I, most Thunder fans know that Dort has taken on a smaller role and has really thrived in it. He's shooting 39% from three on almost five attempts. Uh, he's bringing great defense. Uh, last night was not a great example of that. So if you watched Thunder Spurs last night, he kind of regressed to like old Dort where he's taken some ill-advised shots. But he's really improved as a decision maker and as like a role player for them. Um, but he's somebody I considered. But the player that I went with for the Merp, most improved role player, Dante Exum with the Mavericks. Hmm. He, he was out of the league for two years playing in Spain and Serbia. He's averaging a career high in points and rebounds this year. It's the highest true shooting percentage of his career by a mile and the best three-point percentage by a mile. He's shooting 48% from three, 58, 57% from the field, 71 from the line, averaging nine, three, and three. Uh, so Dante Exum, congratulations. You are the first winner of the Merp. Andrew, you better hope he he continues playing. He just came back. He just came back from, from injury. injury. Yeah. I so was just so ho- impressed. Hopefully he continues it. Hopefully it wasn't just some magical early season run. You don't want to look like a fool hey, at the end of the season. I know. I know. This this could lead to me looking a little foolish, but he the the Mavericks believe that he's their best 3 and D player. Like they've they've watched watched him in training camp, watched him through this part of the season. They believe that he's the best 3 and D role player they have. So I think he deserves it for what he's done so far. Uh, okay, the rookie role player of the year, the Urpoy. There's not a lot of guys to choose from, especially when you knock out the guys who have odds for rookie of the year. Kaysen Wallace is one that I considered. He was averaging 6.7 points, 2.3 rebounds, 1.4 assists, shooting 50, 41, 79. He has a 12% usage rate. It's very, very low. He's been really good for the Thunder. He's contributed in lots of different ways. But the guy that I went with is Derek Lively III, who I was a little surprised didn't have odds on BetMGM for Rookie of the Year. And maybe he did earlier in the season, but currently does not. 79% in the restricted area. This is what just kind of pushed me over the edge for him. 79% in the restricted area is best for any rookie and best for any player with at least 150 shots at the rim. He's been really good. Nine points, seven and a half boards, 1.2 1.2 assists, which is something that's been really impressive. It's just like on the short roll. Like he he can throw a really nice bullet pass and then one and a half blocks. So 74% overall from the field. He's been very good. The only real blemish is that he just doesn't shoot it and has not shot it well from the line. He's 36 of 68 from the line in 41 games. That's 52.9%. So um, you'd hope that that would Yeah, I was looking at a... Because he's kind of entering DeAndre Jordan territory. I was looking at DeAndre Jordan's best season. Mm-hmm. He took seven shots per game and shot 71% on those shots. So yeah. Lively is in that range. Yeah, he's in he's, that He's range. taking like five point something shots. Yeah, it's less. And, and since the trade deadline, his role has kind of decreased a little bit. But very, very impressive uh, role player. So congratulations, Derek Lively III, on your first Urpoy. I guess it's the only Urpoy he could ever earn. Uh, okay, next one. Defensive role player of the year. The the Durpoy or the Dr. Poy, whatever you want to call it. So there were two guys that I really considered for this. Alex Caruso, who gets a ton of love from the media and 
especially at the trade deadline, people were saying that this could be a guy that could really help a contender and help like push a contender over the edge. He is sixth in defensive EPM. The Bulls are 15th in defense, which is, it might seem impressive, but I th- they were top five last year as yeah. a team. And typically, Billy Donovan teams just rank high and in defense. And so I, I kind of docked him a little bit for that. But the Bulls are a plus 4.6 when he's on the court. But the player I'm giving this to is Isaiah Hartenstein. Stein. Steen. Stein? Uh, Isaiah Hartenstein. First in defensive EPM in the NBA. The Knicks are 10th in defense, and they are a plus 8.7 with Isaiah on the court. He's had a very impressive season. You know, they lose. They're starting big, and he steps in, and they basically have not dropped off at all. And he's been a huge part of why the Knicks have been good this year. So, um, and it'll be interesting to see, like, what happens when Mitch Robinson comes back. He may or may not come back this season, but next season, like, what do they do? Because they have a really good player in Isaiah Hartenstein who's played great for them. Isaiah Hartenstein, the D-R-P-O-Y, this season. Congratulations. Next, the seventh man of the year. This goes to a player who is certainly a bench player, certainly playing with mostly bench lineups, um, comes in, will play with the starters some. Uh, guys I considered, Aaron Wiggins from the Thunder. He's averaging 6.2 points per game, 2.3 rebounds, and almost an assist, shooting 57-51-78. That's the thing that like stuck out so much. 68% true shooting for Aaron Wiggins. Hmm. He's having a great season as like the seventh or eighth guy off the bench for the Thunder. Uh, he's been incredible. Peyton Watson from the Nuggets, who can play starting minutes for them at times when they have injuries, averaging seven points, 2.9 rebounds, almost a block and an assist. 47, 34, 68, 56% true shooting, uh, not great. 36% from the corners is okay and an improvement. Uh, they are a minus 10 when he's on the court. And a lot of that is that he's playing with bench lineups and not with Nikola Jokic enough. But the player that I'm giving the seventh man award to is Nikhil Alexander Walker. Hmm. I was just on his basketball reference page. I was going to yell at you if you didn't bring up his name. This no, time. no, no. He's the winner. Shooting, He's averaging seven points, two boards, two assists. Shooting 42, 36, 78, 55% true shooting. He's 41.5% from the corners this season. Like perfect seventh man role player, great defender, a guy that can step in. Like when Jane McDaniels was out for large stretches of the season, he stepped in and the defense didn't fall off. And like that's really that's really impressive. And they're a plus one when he's uh when he's on the court. Plus one. Peyton Watson minus 10, Aaron Wiggins minus six point seven. That's what kind of pushed it over the edge for me. It's like they are winning the minutes that Nikhil Alexander-Walker is playing. And that's really hard to do when you are like a deeper bench player. Yeah, and I think, you know, we were talking to Dane Moore a few weeks ago about how it's harder to go small against Gobert than it was, you know, back when he played for the Jazz. One of the reasons is because their perimeter perimeter defense is so good and Nikhil Alexander-Walker is a big part of that coming Mm -hmm. off the bench where you don't have this like huge drop-off defensively. Mm Mm-hmm. And then for the most valuable role player, the MVRP. I had lots of people that I considered. Trey Murphy, who's played pretty well since coming back for the Pelicans. He's just not shooting it that well yet. So, like, I don't know that I considered him. Uh, Rui Hachimura for the Lakers has had a really nice season uh, off the bench for them. Grayson Allen has a 69% true shooting this season, averaging 13 (laughs) points per game. He's been really good. They're a plus 2.4 when he's on the court. John Collins has kind of had a resurgence in Utah, uh, averaging 14, 8, and uh, 1.2 assists and almost a block, 60% true shooting. But they're minus 10.5 whenever he's on the court, and some of that is like that team just kind of stinks. Duncan Robinson was another one I considered. 13.3 points. Two boards, three assists. The assists for Duncan Robinson have been significant that he's able to average three assists per game. That's not something that he did in the past and has really grown as a player. 61% true shooting. He's been very, very good. Uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope, 10, 3, and, and 2. That's another one I considered. He's a plus 19.7. It's hard for me to assign all of that to him, 
but he's certainly a part of it. But the guy I'm going with, and a guy who meets the criteria because he has not made an all-star team, and it's maybe a little shocking that he never did with Orlando, but Aaron Gordon is the MVRP. He helps That's a good one. He helps the Nuggets play the way they want to play. The the defense, the passing, 16 points, seven and a half boards, 3.6 assists, a steal and almost a block per game, shooting 55% from the field. You wish the three-point percentage was a little bit better and the, and the free throw percentage for that matter was a little bit better. But Aaron Gordon is part of the reason why this Nuggets team is thought to be unstoppable. He is one of the best role players in the NBA. He was a former lottery pick, but he's really settled into this role as like he's not the main scorer. He's not he's like the fourth guy when they're healthy as far as scoring goes. And he's okay with that. He's settled in, he plays defense, he's catching lobs, he's throwing lobs. I mean, he he's a really great player on both ends and a part of the reason why the Nuggets are contenders. So congratulations to Aaron Gordon with the MVRP, and that is the Role Player Awards. Yeah, you think about all the teams who feel like they're one piece away. That Aaron Gordon trade is like the ideal trade for all those teams. Because yeah. a lot of those teams teams can't make like the star level trade. Mm-hmm. Either because they don't have the assets or it's just not going to work financially. Mm-hmm. Being able to trade for a guy like Aaron Gordon who you don't have to pay the max to and is still that important for your team. I mean, that is just such a pivotal NBA trade of like the last five seasons. Like that really swung a title. Yeah. Um, by getting him in. Um, all right, Andrew. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've been carving out time to talk about whatever goofy quote or bad loss the Milwaukee Bucks have given <laughs> us that week. But this week was different, Andrew. The Bucks won all four of their games, including a game on the road against Minnesota. They've also won six of their last eight, including a win over Denver. Now, was there a loss to Memphis mixed in there? Yeah. But when Zaire Williams and Gigi Jackson are cooking, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> okay. supposed to do with Gigi it's Jackson. Exactly a month since Doc Rivers coached his first game. The Bucks are now 500 under Doc, 7-7. Seven and seven. Given that they seem to be turning things around, I thought it'd be fun to dig into the stats, see what has changed so far in the Doc Rivers era. Yeah, All these stats come from Clean the Glass or NBA.com. I'm ignoring Joe Prunty's three-game stint for the purposes of this segment. It never happened. Uh, the Joe Prunty tenure exists in its own universe, own timeline. I do not recognize it as real. Did not happen. Okay, let's start big picture. Under Adrian Griffin, the Bucks had the fourth-ranked offense, 21st-ranked defense, plus 3.4 net rating. Under Doc, the Bucks are 15th in offense, 7th in defense, but a plus-5 net rating. Hmm. Cleaning the glass has a stat called expected wins. And so while Milwaukee was 30-13 and 13 under Griffin, their expected wins were 25.7 and a 49-win pace. Under Doc, again, only 14 games, 7-7, seven and seven, but their expected wins are 9.1 and a 53-win pace. Hmm. Kind of interesting. Hmm. The most significant difference that's been seen is with the Bucks' transition defense. Not only have they been better defending in transition, they've also gotten much better at just not letting teams get out in transition. Under Griffin, 17.3% of opponents' possessions started with a transition play. Hmm. That was the highest percentage in the league. Wow. Under Doc, that number has dropped to 12.9%, the third lowest percentage in the league. Hmm. And that is translated to the Bucks giving up the fewest opponent fast break points over this recent stretch compared to being 23rd in that stat under Griffin. Wow. And one of the interesting things about their defensive improvement is that you can't just chalk it up to opponents having a bad shooting stretch from three, which is one of those stats that can swing things over a small sample. It's actually been the complete opposite. Under Griffin, opponents shot the fourth worst percentage from three in the league, whereas Bucks opponents are now just above league average under Doc. Hmm. Now, it doesn't feel like anything quite as seismic as the transition defense is happening on offense. I mentioned that their offense was fourth best under Griffin, and it's 15th during these first 14 games with Doc. Looking at their shot diet, the drop-off is likely related to them trading some rim attempts for three-pointers. Malik Beasley and Brooke Lopez both taking around two more threes per game under Doc. Another change is their free-throw rate, which has dropped from third under Griffin to 16th under Doc. And the biggest individual drop-off there has been with Dame, who was averaging eight free-throw attempts per game under Griffin, is now under five per game with Doc, Hmm. which is interesting because he's actually averaging slightly more drives per game under Doc, but getting fewer trips to the line out of it. All this to say that the Bucks seem to be figuring some things out, at least defensively, which has to be comforting for Bucks fans who are used to watching good defense. 
And to make Bucks fans feel even better, I wanted to bring up one more thing. Uh, this week, there's been a lot of talk about Phil Jackson's rule that an NBA champion needs to get to 40 wins before 20 losses. And there are currently four teams who would qualify, Boston, Minnesota, OKC, and Denver, but not Milwaukee, who just missed it. Yep. But here at Slam and Jam, we have our own criteria for NBA champion. <laughs> okay. Going yeah, back yeah, to the 1971 true. season, 53 seasons, no NBA champion has had worse than the ninth best preseason odds. No champion has ever started out 1-4 or 0-5. No champion has ever had fewer than four wins in their first 10 games. No champion has ever had fewer than 24 wins at the halfway point. And after factoring all that criteria, it left us with five contenders at the halfway point. Boston, Denver, Phoenix, Milwaukee, and Philly. Mm -hmm. Well, Andrew, we're adding another criteria. Because the problem with Phil Jackson's rule is that it's not perfect. Shane Young at Young NBA on Twitter, he went back to 1980 found that the rule only had a 91% success rate. Hmm. Only 91% of NBA champions over the last 43 years got to 40 wins before 20 losses. Mm -hmm. And that's not good enough. Not good enough. <laughs> but thankfully, because Shane did the work, I can see that we can now come up with a new criteria that has been true 100% of that time. Now, it's not, as, it's not as catchy as 40 before 20, but it actually works. It's 40 before 26. Every champion since 1980 has won 40 games before their 26 loss. Okay. So applying that now to this season, Boston and Denver are still good. They're in the club. Phoenix would need to go five and one over their next six to qualify, which could be tough because they have OKC, Denver, Cleveland, and Boston over that stretch. Wow. Philly would need to go seven and zero oh over mm. their next seven to qualify, but Milwaukee only needs to win one of their next five games. I have a feeling after these next couple of weeks. Only Boston, Denver, and Milwaukee will have qualified for the official Slam and Jam NBA championship resume. A resume that every NBA champion, 100%, not 91%, over the last 43 years has met. So, uh, congrats to Bucks fans. After several weeks of strangeness, uh, things seem to be getting back to normal. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, speaking of strangeness, there's always strangeness about the New Orleans Pelicans. We're going to talk about them with our guy, Will Guillory, right after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out. Birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. All right, Andrew, it is time for the Wheel of Fandom, our weekly segment where we spin a wheel, it lands on a team, and we become fans of that team for the next week. 
Last week, the wheel landed on the New Orleans Pelicans, and the week got started off hot with a four-player ejection in the fourth quarter against the Heat on Friday after a hard foul on Zion led to some extended pushing. Najee Marshall and Jose Alvarado were both ejected and received suspensions. Unfortunately for the Pelicans, they also lost that game, 106-95. And for the week, they were 1-3 with losses to Miami, Chicago, and Indiana, with the lone win being over the Knicks at MSG. New Orleans is 35-25, sixth in the West, but only a half game up from the play-in. Pelicans have the 13th-ranked offense and 7th-ranked defense per cleaning the glass. Andrew, if the Pelicans are our favorite team, who is our guest? One of my favorite just like people and beat writers in the entire world, Will Guillory from The Athletic, our, our Pelicans, Heat, and I'm sure just, I mean, honestly, whatever you need him to write about, he can do it. Will Guillory, what's up? Man, fellas, it's been too long. I appreciate y'all for having me on. And I got to say, y'all picked a hell of a week to be Pelicans fans. That's for sure. I know we did. <laughs> I know. They were doing we, so well before this week. We kicked it off with the ejections. I was like, what's yeah, we going? got We got fights on the court. We got fights with media personalities, yeah. fights with refs. Uh, I put that in my story this morning. It's like I saw all over the place with this team right now. It's crazy. Uh, the Pels came into this week winning eight of their last nine, but dropped three or four this week. All games that were close at one point in the fourth quarter. There was a graphic during the Pacers game that detailed their late game issues. They are now 0 and 15 when trailing entering the fourth quarter, 1 and 6 in games decided by one score, which is worse than the NBA, and 9 and 13 in games that go to clutch time, which is only better than the Pistons, Spurs, and Wizards. And if you don't know anything about those teams, those teams suck. What are some <laughs> of the reasons? For the Pelicans late game issues this season. Yeah, it's something that's, you know, it's so strange with this team because when you watch them, I'm sure like like y'all watched them this week. I'm sure y'all said at certain points, man, this team has so much talent. They've got guys mm-hmm. at every position. They can play different styles. But despite having so much talent, it feels like they still don't quite have an identity. They don't quite know who they want to be during big moments. And I think, you know, that's still some of the process they're going through with you know, figuring out how the B.I. Zion tandem works, where C.J. fits in that, you know, Willie Green learning in his third year as a head coach. I think Uh, when you look at so many of the top teams in the West, uh, like OKC, y'all know all about them in the fourth quarter. We know the ball is going to be in Shea's hand Mm -hmm. in Minnesota. We know Anthony Edwards is going to be running the offense. And with the L.A. Clippers, it's probably going to be Paul George or Kawhi Leonard with the Pelicans. It's kind of up in the air. Sometimes it's Zion. Sometimes it's B.I. Sometimes C.J. will get involved. Every now and then you'll get some J.V. post-ups. I think they still don't really know who they want to be. I think they're starting to get to that point where they're figuring out their identity. But late in games, you kind of see just how uncertain they are about who they want to be at their best. And listen, they still got a lot of room to grow. There's still time before the playoffs. But I think once this team does finally go down, I think – that'll be the main issue that they still haven't really nailed down what their clear-cut identity is in big moments. Who do you think it should be? Like, who do you think it should be that takes the shots at the end of the games? I think what they're trying to get to right now and what it should be is, is Point Zion. It should be him at the top of the mm-hmm. key with the ball because of the attention he draws, uh, the the shots he's able to create for CJ, for B.I., those other guys, and his ability to get to the paint. And I think with the way he's been looking lately, I think for the past month, maybe six weeks, I think he's looked the best physically that he's looked probably his entire pro career uh just you see the explosive plays he's making at the rim those crazy blocks uh the finishes at the rim you see him really getting to a different level with his game and not just physically i think mentally he's grown a lot as well you see his passing numbers going up so i think he's getting to that point uh but again we say all the times with z he's missed so much time and, and missed so many opportunities to be that guy in the fourth quarter he's kind of going through that learning experience now and along with that you know comes with some struggles so andrew and i talked about the pelicans starting lineup a few weeks ago per cleaning the glass cj her bi zion and valentunas have a minus 3.7 net rating which is the lowest of the top 11 most played lineups what have been some of the major issues with the starting lineup, and are there any obvious solutions? Yeah, I think so. I'll give some slight pushback to that because I think if you look at those numbers since January 1st, they've been better. Uh, and I think a big part of that is just that these guys just getting time together. 
Uh, you know, last year, Zion, CJ, B.I., they played like 10 games together, I want to say. Uh, so through the course of the season, all of them being healthy has allowed them just to get more time together. And they've gradually, you know, improved that chemistry. They're gradually figuring out how to play together. You've seen CJ McCollum's shot profile really change this year. Uh, I think B.I.'s game has shifted some. You've seen Z gradually get more of that point Zion responsibility with him. Uh, so I think over time it's improved. And I do think when you kind of look at them on paper, the natural reaction is to say, well, Herb Jones is the only dude among the five who wants to play defense. Uh, but in reality, I think they've been really good on defense with those guys. I think the issue has been just trying to figure out how the offense works uh, with them together and trying to figure out spacing, where the ball needs to go, uh, who needs to have the ball. And I think that's something that's still they're still figuring out, uh, but I think it's getting better over time. And I think Willie Green has done a smart thing, you know, in recent weeks where they'll start uh, JV to begin games. But if it looks better with the small lineup, they'll come out of halftime with Larry Nance starting at the five just to give him a different look. And I think uh, Willie Green in year three, one of the improvements I think I've seen from him is the willingness uh, just to be a little bit more flexible in what he's doing, to change things up, throw different lineups out there. I think, you know, early in his career, he was kind of dead set on doing things in a certain way. And I think he's been much more open to trying new things, trying different looks. And I think that's kind of benefited the Pelicans in some real crucial moments. Let's talk about who I think is kind of becoming like a forgotten superstar in Zion Williamson. Uh, his efficiency and scoring are career lows for him, but his playmaking has taken a jump. And he's been taking on more of the playmaking duties the last couple months. You mentioned in one of your articles going into the All-Star break that since the New Year, Zion has been moving around better than at any point in his pro career. Uh, how do you evaluate Zion's season so far? And what are you looking for from him this final stretch before the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, the number one thing with Z, what we talk about every year, is his ability to stay on the court. And yeah. the number one thing is that he's been able to do that this year. Mm -hmm. He's been playing more. He hasn't had long stretches where he's been out. Uh, and he's been able to kind of improve over time. And I think, like I said, over the past six weeks, I think you've seen him look more like the old Zion, making those explosive plays, getting those big blocks, getting to the rim consistently. And I think with him, uh, I think he's trying to, while also understanding he's a superstar, he's trying to, for lack of a better term, kind of fit in, mm -hmm. understanding what B.I. has done with this team over the years, what C.J. has been able to bring for the past couple of years. He, he hasn't really wanted to step in and be like, okay, I'm back, guys. It's my team now. Y'all take mm -hmm. a back seat, and I'm going to start running the show. He hasn't wanted, he, he hasn't done that at all, and I give him credit for that. He's tried to fit in, and they've kind of, eased him into, you know, a bigger responsibility over time. But I do think as the Pelicans get closer to the playoffs, it's going to be important for him to really establish himself as the alpha, as that guy. And I had somebody, you know, during this past road trip, I was talking to somebody who came up to me and said, man, I love this Pelicans roster. I love the depth they have, but I don't feel like they have the guy. And it's like, hey, Zion's really talented. B.I.'s really talented. But do they have a guy they can no. go into and say, we're ready to go to war with anybody. And I think, you know, Zion and B.I. really have to prove that. Uh, we've seen B.I. play really well in the playoffs in that first-round series against the, the the Phoenix Suns. But I don't think anybody's looking at B.I. and saying, yeah, this is the guy who's going to lead us to a championship. I think if the Pelicans really have those high expectations, it's got to be Zion reaching a new level uh, with his potential. And I think he's getting there, uh, but he's got to continue to improve, continue to add to his game and, and kind of learn how to adjust with some of these crazy coverages teams throw at him because you got to throw so many bodies at him to keep him away from the paint. Trey Murphy had one of his best games of the season this week against New York going 26 and seven with six threes. It's been an inconsistent season for Murphy. However, who started the season with an injury last year, post all-star break, he was over 18 a game on 49, 42, 90 splits. Do you think his struggles this season are primarily due to the early season injury and if not, what are some of the other reasons you think he may have struggled to find his rhythm? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And I think that's one, been one of the unfortunate things for the Pels this season because, like you said, he was so good for the Pels last year, especially during the second half of the season, shooting the ball at an incredible rate. And when you look at this team, that's exactly what they need is a guy like that, right, who can shoot 40%, get you 15 to 20 a night, you know, playing as a big wing opposite of Z and BI. And I think, you know, early on, the knee just wasn't right. He wasn't comfortable with it. He wanted to come back and contribute, but he just wasn't really comfortable with it. 
with it. And I think over time that has improved. And I think over the past few weeks, it's just kind of been confidence with him. I think the shot just hasn't been there. You see, I, I, I compare a lot of times when I look at him, he kind of looks a little Clay Thompson-ish in the, in the way that when Clay's not right, Clay's solution is the well, I'm going to just shoot my way through it. Hmm. And if I go 2-12 mm-hmm. and 12 tonight, I'm going to get there eventually. And I think Trey Murphy at times, he's like, I'm missing, but I just got to keep shooting to figure it out. And with Trey, I think uh, what he forgets at times and I think what people on the outside forget is that this is a dude who shot shot 60 percent on twos last year. He was very good at getting to the paint, scoring in transition, dunking on people. And I think that goes back to the knee issue where uh, at times he doesn't feel as comfortable exploding in traffic, driving through defenders. And I think that's improved over time. But I think that's when you're going to really see Trey Murphy that we saw last year coming back where he's pump faking, getting into the paint, scoring in transition, and that's going to open up the three ball because I think uh, he's starting to shoot a little bit better lately, but it's not quite right. Uh, but I'll know Trey Murphy is back when we see some of those explosive dunks, some of those and ones, and I think that'll make it easier for him to get some of those three balls. Looking ahead to the playoffs, the West is going to be – ridiculous it's gonna gonna be crazy the the pelicans are currently six they're only a half game up on the mavs of the current top four seeds which matchup would be most favorable for the pelicans man i've had this conversation so much during the course of the season i feel like every like other week i changed my mind (laughs) uh but i think the number one team on my list right now i would probably say minnesota is the one they feel most comfortable against Mm. Uh, I think when you look back at Zion's history, he always has great games against Gobert. Some of his best games of his career have come against Gobert. I think he feels really comfortable with that matchup, going at him, scoring in the paint. Uh, I think they feel really good with the wings they can throw at Anthony Edwards. Uh, They lack a little bit of size at the four to deal with uh Carl Anthony Towns, but I think they can they've kind of figured that out over time. They they tried out Herb Jones against Cat in certain games and I think they feel pretty good with that matchup. Uh but yeah I think the the the, the fact that the the Timberwolves struggle in the fourth quarter. The Pels are like, oh, great. We both can struggle in the fourth quarter. <laughs> right. And we'll see who who misses more shots and then we'll do that. We'll get a win that way. Yeah. Uh but yeah I think that those those are two teams that I think are very similar and that they prefer to play big. Uh, they prefer to have, you know, one or two guys controlling the ball at the top of the paint. And like I said, they struggle in the clutch at times. So I think the Pels feel comfortable in that type of matchup rather than, say, like an OKC where they can spread you out. Chet's at the three-point line. Now you don't know what you're doing. Jonas Valanciunas, Herb Jones has kind of been up and down in his matchups versus Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Uh, so, yeah, I think – I would put Minnesota at number one on my list of preferred opponents uh, for the Pels. And I would definitely put Denver at last because I think the last thing they ever want to do is deal with Nikola Jokic in a playoff series because that's a major problem for them. And, And it feels like Jokic just goes crazy every time he sees the Pels. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Will, thank you for answering all of our questions about the Pelicans, but it is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat. Pelicans edition. 
And the challenger this week, Will Gillery, Pelicans beat writer. Now, uh, uh, Will, you've played this before. You know how it works. Oh, yeah. Eight I've questions. had some success in this game, too. I don't want to pat myself on the back. Like <laughs> this, but, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, so eight questions, all about the Pelicans. Uh, you'll give me a number between one and eight. Correspond to questions. Some are easy, some are hard. If you get it right, you'll get at least two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one. We'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So to start us off, I just need a number between one and eight. Uh, you know, I say this every time, man. I got to go with seven. Shout out to the seven war in New Orleans. All right. Number seven. The Pelicans have collected... 495 steals this season, which is second best in the NBA. They're only one steal behind this team, who is the current leader in team steals. Wow. Oh, I have to go with uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal for one. Oh, wow. The Thunder, Thunder got to be high up. Goodness, I don't know. Boston, Boston. Let's see. Let's actually look oh, and see right. where these teams are. Yeah, okay, so uh, OKC was four. Okay, very good guess. Uh, Boston. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Andrew. Boston is 29th, only <laughs> ahead of Detroit. It's a great guess. Wow. It's a great no, guess. No, it wasn't. I don't know why. I uh, thought the correct that. answer was the Philadelphia 76ers. Oh. Would you believe it? Interesting. Very interesting. All right, Andrew, board is yours. Just, just to be clear, how far back does like this Hornets history go? Is this Hornets like only in New Orleans? Uh, is this like only in New Orleans? Okay, yeah, they only count New Orleans. Okay, I just yeah. want to make sure that my head's right. New Orleans and OKC, I guess, though, the, during yeah. the Katrina years. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, number one. Question number one. In a game against the Pacers this week, Brandon Ingram went 13 of 13 from the line, mm. which is actually the second time in his career he's done that. There are only three other Pelicans in franchise history that have shot 100% from the free throw line on at least 13 attempts. You only have to name one. So three guys have done it. You oh, just have to name one. Man. Know? 13 of 13 from the line in a game. Chris Paul? That's a great guess, Andrew, but somehow it's incorrect. Will. Oh, gosh. This is a tough one. This might be an unconventional guess right here, but I'm going to go Tyreek Evans. Tyreek Evans. It was unconventional, and it was also wrong. Oh, uh, buddy. The correct answer. I don't know that Buddy can get sure. them that many free throws. Okay, sorry. Baron Davis. Did once. Baron should have been a guest. Demarcus Cousins did it. Oh. And the one that surprised me, Ryan Anderson. Wow. The flamethrower. He shot that many All free right. throws. What's he doing getting that many free throws? <laughs> right. What's going on? What's going on? I can't, I can't even hardly picture him tape. dribbling. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, zero, zero. Will, you have control of the board. I'm going to go number four. Question number four. What is Larry Nance Jr.'s career high in points for a game? Now, you get to choose who answers first. So you can make Andrew answer first, and then you can go higher or lower. Or you can answer first, and Andrew goes higher or lower. However, if Andrew gets it exactly correct, he would get a bonus point. So a little risk. Listen, I'm a, I'm a generous guest, so please, Andrew, go ahead hey, and, and give us the first answer. 27. Okay, Andrew has set the bar at 27 points for Larry Nance Jr.'s career high. Will, would you like to go higher or lower? I'm going lower. Correct answer is 23, which Dang means Will it. gets the two oh, points. That makes me yes. so I that makes me so mad. Because I like, to be real with you, I was gonna guess 22. So I was actually going to guess 23, and I was like, usually it's higher than what I think, so I went just a little bit higher. Like if I could, if I could publish my thoughts, you would know that that is accurate. <laughs> hmm, uh, interesting. Uh, okay, Andrew, you have control of the board. Two. Question number two. There is only one player on the Pelicans, Jonas Valanciunas, averaging at least six rebounds per game. Mm -hmm. That's pretty wild. There's yeah. only one other team in the league that only has one player averaging at least six rebounds per game. Which team is it? Six rebounds per game. 
Only uh, one player. Goodness. I think chat's averaging more than that. The Thunder would be one. Not a great rebounding team, more of a team rebounding team. Or just um, a not rebounding team. Or just a team that just ignores <laughs> rebounding in every way possible. Um, What about the Raptors? The Raptors, Andrew, that is incorrect. Oh. All right, Will, you have a chance to steal one point. Uh, I, I one can't lie. The first team that popped into my mind was mm-hmm. Denver. Uh, but I think maybe Michael Porter Jr. may be around that number rebounding wise. Uh, Aaron Gordon as well. Uh, so I'm going to go away from them. Um, and I'm going to go with the team we just mentioned a, a few minutes ago. I'm going to say the Philadelphia 76ers. Well, well, I will tell you that is the second best guess you could have had. But unfortunately, Tobias Harris is averaging Exactly 6.0 rebounds oh, per game. My God. The correct answer, you were on the right track because you got to have a really big rebounder on the team to make this happen. It was the Sacramento Kings. Demonis Sabonis. Mm. But next is Keegan Murray at only five and a half. Mm. All right. Uh, Will, we're back to you. You're up to my guest. Uh, number three. Question number three. There have been 13 two-man lineups for the Pelicans that have played at least 500 minutes together. Only one of those 13 lineups has a negative net rating. Who is in that lineup? And you get one point per correct answer. So two-man lineups. So one point per person in the two-man lineups? Correct. Yeah. Okay. One of them is negative. Hmm. Uh, I think one I'm going to go with... Um, Zion Williamson? That is correct for one point. Can you get the other name? I'll do Zion Williamson and CJ McCollum. Woo! A clean sweep wow. for Will. That is correct. Oh. I always feel like those questions are the hardest. And I felt, and this <laughs> one's hard because they're obvious names. Yeah. And a lot of times you want yeah. to choose like non obvious names. Because, wow, I mean, you Andrew. mentioned it earlier. The funny thing is the, the bench units are the ones that are great with the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at all yeah, those guys true. with the bench guys, they're really good. Andrew, you're down four to nothing. This is bad. But number, there's number three five. questions left. Number five. Question number five. When this player is on the court, the Pelicans hold opponents to a team best 6.1 fewer points per 100 possessions. Who is that player? Oh, my gosh. Six point one fewer points. Is this Trey Murphy? Oh, Andrew, that is correct for two oh, points. Wow! I, I gotta admit, Trey Murphy nice. wouldn't have been my first, second, or third guess. So <laughs> shout out to Andrew. Well, here's on the thing: one. it has to be weird. Like it's never just like, oh, it's their. Yeah, best it's not gonna be defender. Herb Jones. Yeah, it was yeah, never gonna exactly. be Herb, or even like I don't know. Uh, it's definitely not CJ though. Um, okay. Will, two questions left. My you're wife, up by two. My wife just brought in this pasta sauce for me to open, just so you're oh, aware wow. if you see me just like passing this through. So now if I end up like giving blowing this lead, uh, uh I never want to see pasta sauce again on this show. <laughs> uh but I'm going number eight. Number eight. All right. This is uh, this is one of my favorite types of questions. I don't do them that often. So here we go. There are eight players in NBA history who played for the Pelicans, made at least one All-Star game, but never were an All-Star as a Pelican. And we're going to name all eight. So how this works is Will will give me a name, then Andrew will give me a name, we'll go back and forth until one of you falters. So they played for the Pelicans, they've made an All-Star game, but they never made an All-Star game for the Pelicans. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay, number one, I'm going Peja Stojakovic. That is correct. Andrew. Drew Holiday. That is correct. Ooh, that is a great guess. That is a great guess. I would guess. say those are the two easiest ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, those are the two easiest. Jeez, this mm-hmm. is a really tough one. I'm going I'm trying to go back in the archives. Um Oh my gosh. I think geez. I have one more. Jamal Mashburn? 
Jamal Mashburn is incorrect. Uh, I think he might have. Andrew, what was your other name? Tyson Chandler. That is correct. Another Mm. one who made it for the Knicks. The other names: Chris Kamen. (laughs) Don't remember him. He made the All Star team. Yeah, he he sure did did. with the Clippers. It keeps coming. Uh, (laughs) Jameer Nelson. Oh, Don't remember wow. him. Like, yes, I covered oh. Jameer Nelson. Yeah. Uh, Rajon Rondo. Oh, mm. my gosh. Man. Julius Randle. Julius Randle. Wow. You're, who I truly do not remember. I cannot covered. picture him in a Pelican. Yeah, it's really hard to picture him as a Pelican, isn't it? Yeah. It was he was there the year AD demanded a trade. Yeah. What a, One of my favorite so conspiracy weird. theories is that I always thought that Julius Randle and AD kind of plotted him coming to New Orleans so Julius can take AD spot as he moved on to LA. But that's that's a, that's another <laughs> podcast for another day. And then the last one only played three games, but still counts. Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah oh, Thomas. Yeah, oh I could, wow! I would not have gotten okay, there. Andrew, wow. you're down by one. If you get oh this last God. question right, you'll win the week. <laughs> no. That damn pasta sauce. All right, here we go. <clears throat> By the end of the season, Jonas Valanciunas will be fourth in rebounds in Pelicans franchise history. Anthony Davis is the all-time franchise leader. Yeah. Who are the other two players in the top three? And you get one point per correct answer. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay, okay. Total rebounds. rebounds. Will you say it again? I'm trying to name who? Say it again. I got lost. You're trying to name the second and third players in Pelicans franchise history for most total rebounds because number four is going to be Jonas Valanciunas and number one is Anthony Davis. Okay. Um, what about David West? Andrew, that is correct for one point. The game is tied. That's a great guess. <sighs> okay. Can you win the week by getting the final name? The other guy I'm thinking of played in OKC as well. Hmm. And he played for a long time. I'm going to I'm going to guess PJ Brown. Andrew, that is Did you freeze? Oh my god. You froze. Oh, did you guys not hear me? No, I oh, can't hear you. Know? No, I'm still like in suspense. <laughs> this is the most dramatic pause ever. <laughs> okay, I'll take that. I'll take that over again. Andrew that is absolutely correct. Yes! Oh, Brown. yes! You win the week. Oh, my yes! God. Will Killers never eat this, pasta I, sauce I, ever I froze, again. I froze briefly as I was giving out the answer, so they had to wait extra long. <laughs> I'm going to leave it all in. Go I'm leaving it all Chandler. in because it was oh, like, God. it felt like, okay. How fitting is it that the Pels beat writer blew it late in the fourth Wow, fourth just oh. like... <laughs> Hey, it's rubbing off on you, too. <laughs> oh I'm never going to look at pasta sauce to say uh, today. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, go go read Will Guillory at The Athletic. Uh, he's great. And if you happen to be a Heat fan, too, he's got some Heat stuff for you as well. But always great on the Pelicans. Will, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks, Will. All right, Andrew, that was Pelicans Week which means it is now time once again to spin the wheel of fandom. Now we have 17 teams remaining. Detroit and Washington still on there. They're still hanging on. And we're just crossing our fingers. They don't land there. I'm, I'm, I think we just I mean, it would be it. nice to talk to Josh Robbins again. But yeah, Josh would be great. At the same time. Yeah, I think I feel like we jinxed it. I feel like we just jinxed it, but hopefully not. Uh, that said, there's a ton of good teams on here yeah. that are fighting for playoff positions. So let's yeah, see yeah. if we can get one of those teams. Will Phantom is spinning, and next year's or next week's team will be the Dallas Mavericks. Oh, the Dallas one. Mavericks. Yeah, I like that one a lot. I like that one a lot. I'm very excited for the Dallas Mavericks. They play, man. They play. They play great lately. Uh, let me see who they're playing this week. Yeah, to get us excited. Boston. Oh my gosh, this lineup at Boston on ESPN uh-huh. tonight against Philly on ABC Sunday morning. For me, uh, Tuesday, Indiana, 5:30 p.m. 
Thursday, Miami on TNT. We wow. got three national TV games. What a lineup. I feel like we, we're going to really know a lot about the Mavs after this after this week. Yeah, that's an incredible stretch. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, something else that would be incredible is if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you do it, we'll read it on the show. Just like this one from Jim, music fan in the United States of America. It says, Slam and Jam, great podcast, five stars. I always enjoy this podcast. The hosts don't spend excess amounts of time talking about the Lakers, LeBron, the Warriors, Steph, Phoenix, KD, etc. Like some podcasts do. Good to hear more about the smaller market teams. I always enjoy the quiz, even though I rarely know many of the answers. Keep it up. Uh, Thank you so much for that review. And hey, if you guys could, if you're hanging on here with us here at the end, I would love for you guys to help us out a little bit if you you like listening to this show we'd love for you guys to do a quick survey about your podcasting habits you can go to theathletic.com slash survey 24 that's theathletic.com slash survey 24 and three lucky entries will win a 100 dollars amazon gift card so if you go do that if you're a, a longtime listener or even a new one we'd love to have your feedback that's theathletic.com slash survey 24 and I'll also put the link in our episode description. Uh, please go do that if you love the Slam Jam pod. If you also maybe if you listen to Down to Dunk, we um, that's our Thunder show that Alex and I do. We'd love for you guys to go do that survey for us. That would be amazing. So hope you guys enjoy your weekend and the basketball. And we will talk to you guys again next Friday.